0: up, everybody? This is crazy, you know? You, uh, yeah, yeah, you think things, you plan things, and then you see things, and uh, things are different. So super thankful, excited to have you guys here with us today. Uh, this is just crazy. Like, like I said in the beginning, some of you were here. Our very first City Light service, so let's shout for that. Let's do it. In the beginning, you guys did this, so let's do that. Yeah, that's better. Our very first City Light service. Uh, we even have a kids ministry down the hall, which is bizarro and crazy, uh, and uh, the whole deal. So super excited to be here, thankful to see what God's going to do uh, amongst us, thankful to be here worshiping with you. So a couple of things. Uh, I was trying to think through, like, man, okay, your very first time that you gather together, the very first thing you do as a group, one of the first things. What do you talk about, you know? Like my, uh, my head is full of a thousand things. When people ask me what's the goal of this, it's like where do I start? I don't know. There's a hundred million awesome things I want to see happen, uh, and I can't explain all those to you at once. It would be, you know, days and days of sermons. So trying to pray, Lord, what is it? What is it that, that you want us to hear today on this very first day? Uh, and as I've been praying, there was a phrase that came so clearly to me. It was, let's make our lives count. Let's make our lives count. If I could sum up everything we're trying to do and everything I want for you and for me and everything I want for us in this church, that would be pretty close to it. It's let's make our lives count. You know, the other day I was playing with uh, my seven-year-old son. Uh, he, if y'all know him, many of you do, he's very active, and we were at a carnival. It was really hard to keep him in one place, but he loves this little uh, dunk in uh, the, the water dunk thing, you know, where you, uh, what's it called? The, um, the dunk, the water dunk. I'm missing it. What? <laughs> Dunk Tank! Thank you. See, see, there's a reason you're here, Clayton. That's good. The Dunk Tank. We were playing the Dunk Tank, <clears throat> and you know we go up to the Dunk Tank, and uh, his previous experience with a Dunk Tank was getting kicked out of the carnival for breaking the rules. So he, uh, we went to one down the road like last year, and he couldn't, he couldn't get it when he threw it. So he just got mad. He ran up and he hit the button and the guy fell down. And they were kind of mean. They were like, that's against the rules. You got to go. And I was like, hold up. You know, like, he's like six years old. Let's give him a break. You know, he's being impulsive. they're like, no, we can't have that around here. And I'm like, okay, man. Like, all right, we're out. We're out. We're never coming back here again. Uh, But so Jay gets kicked out. And this time I had to explain to him, remember, you get three throws. That's it. You get three shots. That's all you get. Okay, we'll move on to something else after this. You cannot, by any means, run up and hit the button. If you get mad, if you don't get it, you just don't get it. There's nothing else you can do. You get three shots. One, two, three. Say it with me. How many? One, two, three. You know how many shots you get? Three. How many shots do you think you get? Three. What are you gonna do when you're done doing your three shots? You don't get it? I'm gonna be okay. You know, he takes a deep breath, like, like he's preparing himself for a battle (laughs) to say, like, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay. You know. And I was remember what happened last time. You know, and that's probably not what you should do. But I was just trying to get him to think through it, three shots, you get three shots, that's all, and so he throws one, two, three, he misses, he doesn't go up to the thing and hit it, he walks away, he's pretty sad, and he doesn't get to do it, well, we come back, we wait, we go back, we do something else, we come back, and he gets it that time, and he gets the guy down, Uh, and what I was trying to, when I was thinking through this, I thought that was pretty clear of what we're trying to say here, it's like, Jay, you got three shots, you gotta make it count, you don't get anything else after that, and the same is true for us to say, we have one shot, though, you have one That's it. There's no second chances. There's no another go around. There's not another run. There's not another thing. What you did yesterday is done. You won't have that back. And what we're going to do in the future, hopefully we can change. How you've lived your past, you cannot change. But we're thinking through, what is it that we want to do? How can we maximize our lives? And many of you that I've been talking to have been trying to explain that's one of the biggest goals is to take this truth that God has invested something in you, giving you not only the gospel of Jesus, but giving you certain gifts, skills, talents that he wants you to steward for the glory of God and for his kingdom, and you only get one chance to do that. And we get so distracted, right? We get so focused on so many things. We're going back and forth for this, this, and that. We get so worried with the cares of the world. We get so disconnected. We think we'll live longer than we might. There's so many reasons why, but we don't take our shot. We just sometimes kind of navigate through life, try to avoid doing really bad things, uh, and not really pursuing the life that God has for us with ambition, with passion, with that Paul-like intensity to say, i got one life to live, I'm going to make it count. And so what we want to do is gather a group of people to believe that, to be equipped for that, and to be sent out to actually live that out. So that when we come together, one of the things I want to say a lot when we're here is this is, a, this is not a landing place, it's a launching pad. This is not the end goal. This is great, and I'm going to do this as much as we can. We're going to pray together, we're going to sing together, we're going to hear the word of God. This is fantastic, but this is fuel for the mission. It's not a landing place, it's a launching pad. This is not the essence of who we are as a church is one gathering a week, no sir. This is a launching pad for us to be equipped and sent to go make our lives count. Then you go out into the world, you get rejected, you get beat down, and you're trying to live for Jesus. It's called taking up your cross. It's actually quite difficult a lot. You come back and you get rejuvenated with each other and say, oh man, that was hard, yeah, that was hard. Yeah, but Jesus, we love you so great. Okay, I remember, I remember, remember. Then I go back and I go back. And I go back, get beat down, get slandered, get ridiculed, get rejected, go live my life for Jesus, however that may cost, give up my time, my resources, my energy, drain, 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 show up back again, renewed. Jesus, you're worth it, you're worth it, you're worth it. Yeah, he's worth it, he's worth it, he's worth it, he's worth it. Which is why it's so important for us, as I said in the beginning, for us to be a participatory body. This is not a show, and we want everybody to utilize the gift that God's given them, to encourage one another to come here, equipping each other, encouraging one another in the battle that we have. But it would be quite the pointless gathering if we're not battling. Why would we gather if we're not battling? What's what's the point of what's happening? What are we doing with the rest of our days? And so we're thinking through, let's make our lives count. Let's make them count for the rest of the time that we have. As long as God wills this church to exist, let's make our lives count. So then the question becomes, well, how does a life count? And some of you may be new to church. I don't know. Some of you may be invited by friends. Some of you have been doing church for forever. You're not quite sure sometimes what the answer to that question is. What is it that makes a life count? How much do I have to give? How much do I have to go? How hard do I have to live? What is it? What's the essence of making a life count? What makes my life count? That's a really good question. It's something every human being tries to answer, and the Bible gives us the clearest picture. I think the simplest way to make sure our life counts is to live it the way Jesus did. We just want to boil it down to the very substance, the very essence of what we're talking about. The simplest way to make sure your life counts is to live it the way Jesus lived his life to consider his priorities, to consider his mission, to consider his heart, and follow that. So that's what we're gonna do. If you open your Bible to Luke four, we're gonna look at how Jesus summarized his own ministry. And then we're gonna take a quick look at, a, at the Old Testament and see what he's referencing. So Luke four, this is how Jesus himself summarizes his ministry. So, verse 16 in chapter 4, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom, and he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty or to set free all who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in what would be a mic drop 2,000 years ago, he rolls up the scroll, hands it back, and sits down. And everybody, it says, was looking at him. And he looked at them back and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, which is an absolutely ridiculous thing to say, unless you're God himself. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, the interesting thing is he's referencing something that's already been said in Isaiah. This is why it was a big deal. So in Isaiah, Isaiah had prophesied about somebody who would come and do this. So when Jesus is saying, this is fulfilled in me, he's saying, I'm the one that was prophesied about. That's why it's a big deal. So let's go back to that. It'll be on the screens as well. But Isaiah 61, in Isaiah 61, the way it's laid out is going to be a real marker and founding piece for this ministry, for our goals, for our priorities, because Jesus, we wanna follow Jesus, Jesus got his ministry ideals from Isaiah 61. He referenced, when he's summarizing his ministry, he references Isaiah 61 as the way for him to explain to everyone what I came here to do. So then we should know what Isaiah 61 is all about. So this is verses one through four. In Isaiah 61 it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Then to grant those, in verse three, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, to give them oil of gladness instead of mourning, to give them the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So, what you're going to see from there, very simply, is God uses a, a person, a people there, and now it's prophesying about Jesus to summarize, you could say, bring the good news and bind up the brokenhearted. This is mission. I'm going to bring the good news and bind up the, the brokenhearted. Well, the result of that is going to be trading for many people, giving them beauty instead of ashes giving them gladness instead of mourning, giving them praise instead of a heaviness or faint spirit. There's gonna be this spiritual, non-seeable, but you can feel it, it changes your life, transaction being made amongst the people when someone comes in to bring the good news and bind up the brokenhearted. So when the anointed one comes in to do those two things, what happens to people is you take their ashes and you give them beauty, you take their mourning, you exchange it for gladness, and you take uh, their heaviness and you give them praise. What happens after that? Well, the next thing that happens is they become secure and established. It says here in verse, uh, the end of verse three that they may be called oaks of righteousness. An oak was the, bed, the, the most the secure tree, the, the thing that stood tall. It was the thing that gave people the idea of establishment, of security, of being founded in something secure. So now you're taking this group of people who are broken and in ashes, you're giving them good news and you're binding up the brokenhearted. That results in praise, gladness, and uh, beauty that then secures them strong to be mature and to grow in the Lord. It says the planted ones of the Lord. So they're oaks of righteousness planted in the Lord. And then finally, get this, what's the end result? They, you, you meet them with uh, binding up, brokenhearted, giving them good news, and then that changes their spirit. Something happens in them spiritually that changes everything about them. That's what secures them, right? There's nothing all physically that could do this. So it's the combination of physical and spiritual things happening here that allows them to be secure. They then become mature and strong. And then verse four, those are the people that build up ancient ruins. These are the people that raise up former devastations. These are the people that repair ruined cities. The devastations, get this, of many generations. So now somebody that's anointed by God has come in with good news and to bind up, bring good news and to bind up the brokenhearted. That's created a spiritual change in a group of people. These people now are secure, mature, and established, they're strong. Now that they're strong instead of what they were before, God uses them to go repair the things that were broken. This is the story of all of our lives. You know this. We're not just talking about people out here, out there. We're talking about ourselves, that we, a broken people, rebellious against the Lord, broken in spirit, broken in body, in uh, mourning and ashes and, and, and heaviness, God enters into our lives through Jesus, and he grants us the gospel that instead of those things, Jesus wants to give us gladness in him. Instead of those things, Jesus wants to give us eternal life. Instead of being mourning, he wants to give us praise. Jesus entered into many of your lives, and he did that spiritual transaction, and it happened because someone else met you in his name, for the most part, unless you had some dream or something. But it happened because someone else met you in his name. They brought you good news, and they bound up your broken heart. And then a spiritual transaction happened. And God came into your life. And everything was different. And now you're the one, although still broken, not perfect. Although still needing the grace of God every day. Although we experience mourning, sadness. We don't do that without hope. We have real gladness in Jesus. Even though the life may disappoint us that happens and the things that happen to us here. We're still broken people, but we're established by God. Because of his grace. And now what happens? Go and make disciples. God takes a group of people Does all of that to them that many of you have experienced. And he sends you on a mission to say, go repair the places that are broken. This is your commission. And so what we want to do is just see what's happened in our own lives happen in the lives of people around us, the rich and the poor, the well-off and the not well-off, the resource and the under-resource, the very far from God, the very religious, the very atheistic, you name it, anybody that surrounds us, anybody at workplace, anybody in this community, anybody in Northern Virginia, anybody in the world, we want to take this to bring the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to see a spiritual transaction happen in them that changes who they are, that allows them then to go be deployed to make a difference in their cities. The work is not all here, the work is out there. There's this phrase we use, it's called from the harvest for the harvest to say we want people to come to know Jesus and then be deployed into mission for Jesus. This is not the only army we're working with. There's people God's appointed and called for us to go share the gospel with. Their lives are gonna be changed and they're gonna become the missionaries to their neighborhoods and their cities. That's what we wanna see happen. Entering into brokenness as a broken person, we understand we're broken people together. We're entering that with them, and then we share the gospel, we bring good news, we bind up the brokenhearted, we make physical, intangible differences in their lives, and that changes their life. They get established by God, and now they're the missionaries to their city. They're the ones who are rebuilding their home. They're the ones who are rebuilding their neighborhood. They're the ones who are rebuilding their communities and rebuilding their cities. For generations and generations to come. This is what we wanna see. So we call this pursuing a holistic mission. Pursuing a holistic mission. If you wanna sum up what Jesus was here, he was a preacher, healer, deliverer, and comforter. In Isaiah 61, Jesus is represented as a preacher, a healer, a deliverer, and a comforter. He had a ministry, as we said, of bringing good news and binding up broken hearts. Jesus' ministry specifically had the power to create beauty, gladness, and praise instead of ashes, mourning, and heaviness. His ministry strengthened broken and struggling people. Read the New Testament. See what God did. Jesus' ministry strengthened the broken and struggling people. It repaired them so they became strong. They took the gospel in hard circumstances and went other places with it. It was a ministry that ultimately brought glory to God. So when we ask the question, how do we live a life that glorifies God? Well, we do it Jesus' way. We pursue a holistic mission. We care about mind, body, and soul. We are here to make a difference spiritually, physically, relationally, mentally, emotionally, in every possible way we can. We pursue a holistic mission. Jesus preached and he healed. He cared about body and soul, and so do we. These are the people that we must be. So I want to show you even more from the New Testament. So this is Jesus' life. Then in Luke 10, he sends his disciples to go do the same thing while he was present, and then before he leaves in Matthew 28 and Acts 1, he sends his disciples to do the same thing, and then when he's gone, he says, I'm going to send you the Spirit so you can keep doing the same thing, so he's like, you've seen what I've done, you've tried it while I've been around, before I go, I'm going to give you a mission, then I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, which you see in John 14, Acts 1 and 2, that's going to come and make this a reality, this is why we have, one of the primary reasons we have the Holy Spirit, is to imitate the life of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit to seal our salvation. We have the Holy Spirit for many reasons, but one of the main ones is so that we have the ability, supernatural ability, to imitate the life of Jesus, to do things the way Jesus did. We see in John 8, this is how Jesus manifested being the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then we see in Matthew 5, he says, you're the light of the world. That's not a contradiction. What he means by that is you are me out there. I'm the light of the world, now I commission you to be the light of the world, which means you be light the way that I was light. Do it the same way I did, Jesus says. This is what he hopes for us. This is why he sent the Spirit of God, and this is why a city like church exists. There is no need just for another church or an organization to come meet in a building and have service together. There's no need for that. There's no need for that. Lots of good churches around here. No need for that. There's a need for a group of people to come be on mission together to go change the city around them. There's a need for that. There's a need for people to walk around these neighborhoods and share the good news to bring, bind up the broken heart. There's a need for that. There's a need for a group of people to be empowered to go to their workplaces, their neighborhoods, their cities, to the ends of the earth and take the gospel, bring good news and bind up the broken heart. There's a need for people to be trained up and exercise that. There's a need for that. There's not a need for another service. No, that's not a need for that. And so that's who we wanna be. That's why City Light Church exists. You ask why you start another church, well, that's the reason. There's 1.1 million people in Fairfax County alone. You cannot reach them all from one singular place. There's 100,000 people just within this West Falls Church, Bailey's Crossroads, and Annandale area. 100,000 people, 12% of them in abject poverty. 12 Title I schools all around us. There's need left and right. There's developments happening all around us. People are moving in, to Mosaic, and Falls Church, and everywhere. Amazon's coming to Crystal City. That's going to cause this place to blow up. People are going to be moving here left and right. So the question is, who's going to be here to reach them? Who's going to be here to serve them? Who's going to be here to engage them on mission? Who's going to be here to be empowered in their workplaces and in the communities to go reach them and serve them? As this place grows and as this place has need both from under-resourced ideas and possibilities and from people in other places, there's need all around us, but not a need for another service. I cannot emphasize that enough. We do not start City Light Church to start another service. No. It's a landing place. It's not a landing place. It's a launching pad. So I want to give you a little bit, for that's the biblical backing of what we're trying to do, Let me give you a little bit of our vision and mission of what we hope to accomplish. Our passion is to shine the light of Christ in all the world to bring real hope and help to all people. The idea being body and soul, physical and spiritual. We want to bring real hope and help to all people. This is our passion. This is what we live for. We are equipped and trained to shine our light. This is what we think about everywhere we go, that God has sent us to be the light. Our mission, then, is to take the light of Christ to dark and hard places as we declare the good news of the gospel and display the love of Christ through tangible acts of service. We're going to say this all the time. Light is made for darkness. This is very important. If you're called and if we have the people who are called the light of the world, Jesus gives his own illustration. He says, you don't light a candle and put it under a a basket. Now, 2,000 years later, we'd say, you don't turn your iPhone flashlight on when it's sunny outside, Why are you doing that? There's no point in that. You don't need a light outside. You already got one. So what's the point of being the light of the world? What does that mean? That means we're supposed to be a group of people that find ourselves and intentionally enter into dark and hard places because there needs to be a light there. That's what we are. And so it's wonderful for lights to be around other lights and for our light to shine together to be encouraged and have this big experience. But then we go out and we're equipped here to go be the light where we are in the communities around us. Light is made for darkness. There's no reason to have a light unless it's put in a dark place. This could be physical brokenness and poverty. This could be spiritual brokenness in your atheist coworkers. This could be the brokenness of governments, of of cities, of communities as a whole. This could be the brokenness of government programs. This could be the brokenness, everything, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. This is drug brokenness. This is mental disability brokenness. This is special needs brokenness. This is all kinds of brokenness that we all experience, that we all see around us, that we know personally because we are a broken people. We are not a fixed people serving a broken people. We are a broken people repaired by Jesus, going to give other people the guy who repairs people. There's the guy who will fix you, not me. That's not the guy. I'm not the guy for that. So our posture, one of our core values, uh, there's seven of them. You can see them on the website. Our posture is that we're servants first. We are broken people who serve other broken people. As we consider the needs around us, as we consider being a representation of Jesus, we are never looking down to serve those under. We are partnering with those to help them meet the one who changed their own life. And we're doing it through bringing good news and binding up the broken hearts. Our big goal, therefore, is to plant community-centered churches that serve as lighthouses in local neighborhoods, with people and programs well-equipped to bring holistic help to the community around it, all in the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, if you're gonna say, "What's the big goal behind this? What do you hope to see ten years from now?" Well. My, my dream and vision and that the Lord is leading us to hopefully accomplish is that one day we'll have a building and that building will be a community building where, Chris, where we meet so it'll be worn out by the community and we'll happen to meet there for service. It won't be our building, it'll be the community's building that we own and that they use and we offer all kinds of programs and help and people so that people can meet with God and so that people can get the help that they need so they can have a place where they can grow and their life can be changed to be a real lighthouse in every way physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Our dream is to get really good at bringing help to communities in ways that are measurable, in ways that can be replicated in other places so that when we do what God has called us to do here, we've already trained up a group of people, pastors and leaders and business and whatever, to go start the same thing in another place. It could be five miles down the road, it could be in the 100, million, 100 million miles away, it could be wherever, but to say, we hope that one day we're just planting these lighthouses that are well-sourced and ready to help people meet with God and to meet them in their need. That would be our vision, is that the Lord would do that amongst us here, create a healthy group of people who have that established so we can launch people out to go do that over and over and over again to bring help for undereducated, to bring uh, literacy development for kids in need. One of the ideas is to work amongst the foster system to bring adopted kids into our homes, to bring broken kids from broken homes into our homes so that they can meet Jesus to help the community around us deal with vulnerable children that have been abused and neglected and left out, to help those who are marginalized who have the least amount of power in their life, that we would be a light amongst the vulnerable children in the area, that we would be a safe place for them, that we would enter into the dark places of abuse and neglect, and that we would bring light for Jesus there. That's our hope and one of our ambitions is to be a minister, to know how to well take care of vulnerable children in the name of Jesus. Another thing we've been working on that we're excited about is bringing out financial stability in the communities around us through partnering entrepreneurs and businessmen with people in communities with raw skills and talents. The only reason that some of us have more resources than others is usually just because of the opportunity that we've had. There's skills everywhere, all over this place, better than a lot of us have. And so what we want to do is simply be an avenue for Jesus to connect people with amazing gifts to an opportunity for them to flourish an opportunity for them to care for their kids in a way that's more sustainable. We want to bring about financial health and well-being to homes and to communities abroad as we work through this. We want to see that happen in the name of Jesus. I've never heard yet, at least, of a church that came to town and started 10 businesses in a few years. I don't know if that exists. I haven't found one yet. Uh, but that would be one of the goals. Say a church showed up, and all of a sudden there were 10 businesses and 50 families can, can afford all the things that they need to take care of their kids because a church showed up. What are the odds of that? Just to get your mind thinking about some of the things, we want to meet real needs in real time to deliver goods, tangible goods that are needed in moments of crisis. Whether a mom is out of diapers or a family has run out of food or they're new to the area and they don't have furniture for their new apartments, how can we meet real needs in real time in the name of Jesus? Can we get really good at that? Those are just three things to get your mind thinking about how we can bring light to the communities around us. There's many more, thousands more, but some of these are the things we've been working on is to work for vulnerable children, to bring about financial health in the communities around us, and to meet real needs in real time, to be the light of Jesus, at least in those three ways, and hopefully many more. So as we uh, close, I want to share just a couple things that I was uh, in my devotional life yesterday. So uh, Acts 4.13 says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Look at that. They said, these jokers don't know anything, and yet they have power. Why is that? Oh, well, those guys have been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And Acts 4.32 says, now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. One heart, one soul. So the two essential things for us to move forward and be productive at all for our lives, for our families, and for the community around us is for us to have a passionate pursuit of the presence of God. The marker of a helpful people is that they've been with Jesus. It's not that they have skills and talents. It is not that they have resources. The marker of the most helpful people is that they have been with Jesus. And so when we gather, we pursue the presence of Christ. We are here to meet with God. We want to know him. We want to experience him. We want him to come speak to us through his word and to encourage and to convict. When we're in our homes and in our private time and in our groups together, we are pursuing the presence of Jesus. We prize him being near and dear to us. We are a people that others would look at say, where does their power come from? I don't know. Well, they must have been with Jesus. And secondly, we have to do this together. We have to be of one heart and soul. We have to be united we have to be in, in, uh, in just unity together for us to see this come to pass. A way you can think about it is the presence of Jesus propels us into mission, but the power of unity pushes us farther. So the presence of Jesus propels us into mission. They must have been with Jesus. They're bold. They're sharing the gospel. That presence of Jesus powers us into mission, but the power of unity continues us in it. It takes us farther. It pushes us together. So if we can be a people who love being with Jesus, our defining mark is these people love Jesus an awful lot. It's kind of weird and strange. They really like Jesus in a way I've never experienced before. He's like their favorite person. I don't get it. If that's the kind of people we can be who then unite together to say, we're going to do this together. We're going to be propelled by the presence of Jesus, and we're going to be pushed farther into it by the power of unity. One heart, one soul, we're going to do this together And so one of the ways we're going to try to bring that about is every possible ministry thing we do has the same alignment, same goals. We don't work in departments that much. We work together in unity. It might be certain things that are distinct in ways that they are, but they have the same core values. They have the same mission. They have the same angles that we're trying to take. We are all working together, same goals in mind, same ideas. It might just be in a different neighborhood or with a different age group or whatever, but we have the same mission. We're going to be united in purpose. We're going to be a people who love to be with one another, who fight through division, who fight through being annoyed with each other, and who pursue unity for the sake of our mission. A phrase we're going to use is all of us are all in. All of us all in. 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good, which means that God's done something in your life that he wants to use to bring about good in those lives around you for every one of us. That's no different with me or somebody you see in front of you. Every one of us equally has that power. All of us are all in. And so what I want us to do, um, oh, let me give you a couple uh, so you don't miss this real quick. date's coming up. May 25th, we have a community service event in Falls High School right here from 9 to 1. If you can help us serve the community, that would be fantastic. We're going to do a cookout after that. June 16th, July 28th, and August 11th are all services like this one. So those are all services like this, five o'clock, meet here. If you can come serve at three, that would be great. July 22nd through the 26th, we're running Vacation Bible School, Sports Camp, and an Arts Camp. So if you want to help us do that, that would be fantastic. Yes, okay, so the auditorium. So the next dates we're doing service is in the auditorium, which is in the front. So instead of coming around the back, you can park around front. That's where we will be. Uh, And then I want you to see there's a donation link. So if you're all into what God is doing, uh, we're raising support and funds to bring this about. One of our biggest goals is that 50% of all donations would go directly to mission. Your average church does about 10 or 15%. And so we want to just be lean and leverage everything that we have, be a good steward for the sake of the mission. We're not here to run a service, we're here for the mission. And so we're gonna leverage all that money to do that. But as we're starting, we obviously need support to do the things we wanna do. If we're gonna reach needs, you need money to pay for things to reach the need. And so we'd love for you guys to support us in that way. And so now as the band comes up and as uh, uh, Gustavo, Pastor Gustavo to come up, uh, and what we want to do for the next several minutes, as I said in the beginning, uh, this is a participatory gathering. And one of the, our core values, number two, is that prayer is the work. And so we're going to pray together, and we're not just going to, like, pray for one second as we transition between songs. We're going to actually pray together, and this will be normal in our gatherings. It might look different sometimes, but we really believe and fully believe that lives will only be changed if we pray and that God will hear our prayers and he'll actually do things. And it's not our skills that bring about change, but it's our prayers that God really uses to move and to change lives around us. So we're going to pray like we actually believe prayer makes a difference. And we're going to pray like God's going to hear our prayers and respond. So we're going to gather together and do that. And Pastor Gustavo, uh, who's going to be helping us in lots of ways, is going to lead that time. We'll sing one last song and be, be done here today. So.